This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hello and welcome back. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm a professor of marketing here at the Wharton School. And I'm here with my guest co-host for the evening, Professor Keith Niedermeyer. He's the director of the undergraduate marketing program here at Wharton, and he teaches one of our largest courses on campus, I believe. That is true. (laughs) I teach the Marketing 101 class, so I have uh, about 500 students I'm teaching right now. Well, not literally right now, but uh, yeah, this semester. And by the way, if you're an undergraduate at Penn and you've ever taken Marketing 101 for the last, what, 10 years? 12 years now, yeah. You have had Keith Niedermeyer, even if you don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) They remember. Come on. <laughs> we are happy to welcome Shakar Oren. She's the chief storyteller. Wouldn't you like to have that as your title? I love that title. <laughs> chief storyteller at Playbuzz. Hello, Shakar. Hi. So nice to be here. It's really nice to have you. So we have tons of questions for you because apparently you do things with native advertising and with storytelling and you do it at Playbuzz and all of those neat <laughs> explanation. Let's start with Playbuzz. What's Playbuzz? All right, so Playbuzz is an interactive storytelling platform. Now, that means basically that we work with uh, publishers and advertisers to give them tools to create content that better matches the way that people consume content today. Because I'm sure you guys know, you know, you're in marketing, most of the content that is produced online is still very much like the content that I was producing when I was a print journalist, um, you know, a few years ago. It's not very engaging. There's not a lot of opportunities to interact with the content. And this is exactly what we're trying to change. So what kind of tools are they? That sounds like making a boring person interesting. That sounds like a huge task. (laughs) It sure is. Um, (laughs) So we are trying to see where we can add interactivity into uh, traditional forms of content. So it can be asking questions and letting people answer them and make choices as they consume the content or Uh, Even do something as simple as taking an image and allowing the user to flip it to the other side. So it kind of creates a little bit of drama or surprise in the content Um, and adding um, text messages into the way that you can tell your story. So a lot of different forms that make the experience very different than just what I love to call zombie scrolling through text, which, you know, is what we usually do. So are you doing this for clients and for them to publish on their own platforms or to create native content on other published uh, platforms or how does that work? So our clients come to our platform to create the content, but then they embed it on their own entities. So Mm -hmm. we work with over 16,000 publishers, uh, some of the biggest publishers in the U.S., like HuffPost, ESPN, ABC, um, Sky News in the U.K., we're a global company, um, and they use our platform, uh, create the content, and then embed it on their site. Uh, when we work with advertisers and, you know, we've worked Wait, wait, with so you actually of, work with yeah. journalists? So it's like it's not advertising, yeah. it's real journalism. Content. Yeah, real content. Okay, and it's even better. Yeah. So wait, let's let's define a term. Keith was right. Not everybody knows what this means, including me. Originally, was so (laughs) so like what's native advertising? What's content? What's straight advertising? Let's and you apparently you do all of it, right? So we work both on editorial content and native advertising. So with when we work with journalists and with publishers, they use our tools to make their editorial content, again, more engaging and better fit for people's expectations as they're consuming content mostly on mobile devices. 
And then when we work with advertisers, it's um, to enrich their uh, native advertising campaigns to make the content more engaging. And I think, you know, when you think of the context of a campaign, it's even more important to keep users engaged. Um, you're so paying first you a lot have of to define to get that content in front of them. Yeah, yeah, before you do that, define exactly what you mean by native advertising and talk about some of the issues involved with that. Sure. So um, I think today, you know, uh, um, every advertiser are they're trying to tell stories to their audience. And uh, I think every advertiser, every marketer will tell you that every single thing that they produce is a story. But when you look at a banner ad, that doesn't really tell a story as much as when you're producing what we call, you know, branded content, native advertising, a full on um, article that speaks the messages of your brand or of your campaign, but is not talking about your product, but more of giving some sort of value to the consumer, something that they would be interested in while, you know, they're less interested to read about your product, but if you're giving them value, and this is something that we talk a lot about, um, it's a whole other story. And more and more brands are leaning towards that as their, um, you know, a, a big part of their uh, their advertising these days. Uh, and this is what we do. Our, our tools are a part of these, um, native articles uh, that these advertisers produce. So every every study you look at, every there's so many articles out there that talk about the the attention span of consumers today and the scroll rates and how quick and and yeah, basically people have the attention span of about a goldfish right now. <laughs> so yeah. um, so your That's job is to true. get people to not scroll past things and actually dive down into this content and spend time with with this sponsored content. So what what are some of the tools that you do to make that happen? Yeah, I want to know that too. <laughs> It'd be so, good for the show, right? <laughs> exactly. How can we make this more interactive yeah. and interesting? Tell a better exactly. story. <laughs> so this is exactly what we do, and this is exactly why PlayBuzz came to be, because as you said, you know, the average time that people spend on digital content today is eight seconds. Yeah, that's goldfish going, time. That's, I think <laughs> that seems long, eight seconds. It last longer. Um, yeah, it's... It's, you know, going back to uh, when I was a journalist and writing 3,000 word articles, if I knew that people were spending an average of eight seconds on them, that's pretty disappointing, right? <laughs> it's not what you hope for. Yeah. Um, so this is what we're trying to change. And, you know, I just uh, last week was at uh, Content Marketing World, a conference in, in Cleveland, and I gave a session and the topic was uh, storytelling in the age of bad news. And the reason that we call it bad news is, you know, A, because uh, the content that we're producing is um, surrounded by, you know, the bad news, political content. This is the context of what our users are consuming. Oh, you mean the stress uh, you know, of bad, I see. Not not poorly crafted news, but actually right, right. disappointing, Actual sad news. news. Yeah, like war right. and terror. But but after after saying that, I said, well, I actually have more bad news because people are not consuming your content either. And that's bad news for marketers, uh, because, as I said, you know, eight seconds average dwell time completion rate, meaning the people that actually see the last word of your article is around 20 percent. So not a lot of people get there and a lot of people don't even scroll once. 
And, you know, a question that I always ask when I talk about these things is, um, how often do you read an art, uh, do you see the headline of an article and you send it to your friends and you have a whole, like, very heated discussion about it and all you read was the headline? <laughs> and everyone says, I yes. never do that. Do you do that? <laughs> you do that all the oh time. God, I do that all the time. <laughs> and, and that takes me to, you know, the third uh, bad news that I have is that the fact that we're not consuming content fully and that we're having discussions about content where we just read the headline is also contributing to the spread of misinformation and fake news and all these lovely things mm -hmm. uh, that we all want to avoid. Um, but if we're not really consuming content, it means that we don't really have a way to judge. Is it true? Is this not really something I should trust? Uh, so it's becoming a bigger problem for society in general, not just for advertisers trying to get their content across. I think that brings up another question is that, you know, you're, you're talking about all these things in the context of sponsored content, you know, in the age of distrust. And I uh, was just looking at the, the Edelman trust barometer on media and, and it's awful. Media is uh, one of the most distrusted um, industries or sectors there is. And you're creating content that is sponsored content. And so how does that work with, with building trust and, and having people yeah, not just become interested in it? advocacy as a goal rather yeah. than information as a goal. Exactly. Um, I think sponsored content is actually, you know, it's, it's very honest. Um, the, one of the most important things about sponsored content is that it's labeled as sponsored content, right? You can't miss that. Um, and that's something that, you know, we always make sure uh, mm -hmm. within our tools is that it's marked as, as such. But then I think today's audiences, um, you know, as skeptical as they are, um, they know that this is a story told to them by an advertiser. So they immediately come with a little bit of innate suspicion. But then if the content is good, if it's engaging and it's pulling them to spend time and, and remain on it, then it's worthwhile and it's not misleading because they know exactly where it came from. Uh, and I, today's audiences are looking at, you know, where their content is coming from and who's telling them the story. No, I um, agree. You can make just, the case yeah. that if it's sponsored and you say where you're coming from, that's actually more mm -hmm. honest than the inference that the reporter is completely neutral and has no biases in reporting. Exactly. So exactly. I, I have heard people say that they actually prefer to know where we're starting from, what your motivation is, and then they'll take it at face value, what you're saying, with that right, as background. Exactly. So I'm interested in, in uh, where, we, where we were heading. You and I always do this when we talk, Barbara. We veer off. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, the question I asked a few minutes ago was like, what are, what are some of the key principles? Like, what are the key things that we can apply oh, right. if that we're trying to... Question. That was the question. I thought it was a good question. <laughs> it is a good question. Um, like, what are some I'm, of these key principles uh, that we can apply in, in getting our content to be more sticky and getting people to that last word? Sure. So what we really believe in is that content should be a dialogue. Um, and most of the content that you read today is a monologue by a writer. You read what the writer thinks. Um, you, you know, it's, it's their opinion on, on the digital paper. And then maybe you can add a comment at the end. But the reader is not a part of the content. And this is what our tools are trying to change. So we will offer you uh, tools that allow you to make your reader part of the content almost as much as the writer is. Wow, um, that's a pretty asking, tall task. 
Yeah, could you give us well, an example so we can kind of get our, can visualize or get our head around what something like that might look like? That's the definition of co-creation, I guess. Yeah. Of course. So when you're when you're telling any story that you know, let's say you're writing about uh, Serena Williams in the, uh, the oh, okay, uh, the US timely. Yeah. Um, Did something happen and, with uh, Serena? I, I didn't know. It's, well, I, I haven't heard of anything. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's definitely opinions and there's controversy, mm-hmm. and you. Can can write it from the the point of view of you know the person writing that story but then you can ask your uh, readers what they think of this and let's say add a poll question um, that allows them to bring their opinion to the table and all of a sudden the experience of consuming content is not just reading uh, what happened but also stopping for a second thinking what do I think about this am I do I think she's right do I think, you know, did she deserve what happened there? Uh, and then you're also, you're making a, like a motor, an actual motor movement when you're consuming the content by clicking and answering that question. And then you're seeing what other people think. There's a lot of interactions here that, by the way, you know, we, um, we work with neuroscientists that, um, that show that interactions and making choices and motor movements as you're consuming content is much, much more effective on your brain than, again, the, just the, the consumption of static content that all it asks you to do is scroll. Um, so this is an example of how you can easily add a little bit of interactivity uh, into content. Um, to enhance that, you, know, you can, uh, as I mentioned, add an image that is blurred, and then people can click and reveal it, and you're adding oh, cool. a little bit of suspense and drama into uh, into the article, so immediately you're evoking different emotions in the reader through the form of storytelling that you're using. So these are essentially the tools that we offer, um, and they're we've seen them used for so you know for for branded use, for editorial use. So it's, it's so really that exciting. you have you have like a natural experiment going there. You know you can say that this makes people more engaged. What are the measures you use for engagement? Is it time on site, um, time to the end, or those kinds of things? Yes. So we're one of the things that we're always trying to um, to work on with our partners is to change the metrics that they look at because um, a lot of uh, brands, a lot of publishers are still looking at um, clicks, you know, page views as their key metric. Uh, we like to look at things like engagement rates. Out of the people that landed on the page, how many of them actually engaged with something? Uh, and then dwell time, as you mentioned, is a very important one. Uh, as I mentioned, the average uh, in the industry is eight seconds. We see dwell times over two minutes wow. uh, average in our content. Uh, scroll depth is something that we would look at. How far did people scroll? Where did they stop? That's another, um, you know, one of the advantages of using our platform is that you can see exactly how people engaged with different parts of the content. So it's not just like this article worked, this one didn't, but I don't know what about it didn't work. Mm -hmm. It's now I can actually see that this part works, but this part was not engaging um, and so on. Uh, And it's also another key element of it is it teaches you a lot about your consumer because as they're answering questions and making choices and spending a little more time on one part and less time on another part, you learn a lot about what's interesting to them and what they like. And that can be very beneficial for storytellers. 
Yeah. So apparently we, we've seen that you had some recent campaigns. You mentioned a little bit about the U.S. Open and with Serena. But right. You um, also did one on Macy's. What kind of what was the campaign with Macy's? Uh, so it was a back to school campaign um, around picking your back to school outfit. Um, we love uh, doing campaigns um, for young people and using these, you know, when it comes to uh, low attention spans, obviously with younger audiences, you need to work even harder to engage them. And our tools do that very well. Um, so um, we that's that's what we did with them. And that was a great campaign. And we're also um, I'm really excited that we're now uh, doing a campaign with the Ad Council, also for a young audience. It's for their uh, Girls in STEM campaign, uh, empowering more girls to want to be part of uh, science, tech, engineering, and math. Um, and we're, uh, you know, it's, it's a big uh, campaign that they're working on now with several partners, and it's going to be targeted at young girls ages 11 to 15 and showing them, you know, myths about girls are not good at math and girls should not go, you know, to science and uh, kind of breaking those myths with the interactive content that we offer. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff. So do you use video also? Or is it mostly static images and words? Yeah, we, we use, definitely use video as well. We also have one of the, the really uh, cool tools that we offer to journalists uh, is a video creation tool that allows you to create a really great video with zero experience in video editing or design or any of that the skills great. that you would usually need to create a video. Um, and so it allows them to really tell their stories in new ways. Uh, you know, there with this whole like publishers pivoting to video, which essentially means they're letting go of a lot of writers to hire video editors. We're giving writers the opportunity to create videos themselves and do it quickly and easily. Um, so, yeah, video is definitely a big part of that. You know, I was an English lit major, so I'm just revealing my history. And you're talking about <laughs> you're talking about making things more engaging by making it more interactive, adding imagery, you know, all this other kind of stuff. But historically, like if you think back in the Shakespeare days, you know, a story was something that would have you know, a beginning, an end, a middle, a conflict, a resolution. Do you ever talk about any of that, like structure of what even in native advertising of what it should be? Or is it really most of your tools are about this? interaction so it, there's definitely structure to it and i think that doesn't change uh, because of the addition of interactivity the structure is still the same uh it can still be you know a lot of times people ask us does it make content more shallow does it mean that everything needs to be short and snappy no not necessarily we're giving writers the tools to replace some of the text that they're writing with other elements uh, I always like to say that it's, you know, they, they had one color crayon and now they have 20. So they're, they essentially have so many more ways to tell stories. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, the, the story structure stays the same. It's just about enhancing it with new elements. You know, But you, your platform doesn't help them write those better stories or something like that. You don't talk about, like, do you measure arousal or something, you know, in terms of the content or is it only in terms of the interaction? So we help them tell better stories by looking at the results of how the stories perform and optimize. So, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned before, if they're creating a story and then after they publish it, and let's say the first 
thousand people saw that story, they can go into our analytics platform and see the patterns of interaction with the story that the first people have made and see that, you know, um, this part is not really engaging. Or let's say they created a quiz, which is another one of the, uh, the options that our platform is offering. Maybe one of the questions was really difficult and it made people want to leave the quiz halfway. And they can see that immediately in our analytics platform and then optimize their content, either that very article or just learn how to improve future articles. So that really helps them be more data oriented and create better stories that their audiences will enjoy. So from the client side, is this all um, very much an automatized platform type of thing? Or do you actually work with them in a consulting type of role to, to help uh, inform what the content might be, what the structure might be, et cetera? So we work with some of them because, as I mentioned, you know, we have over 16,000 partners. Mm -hmm. I wish we could give every, each right. every one of them personal attention, um, but that's obviously impossible. Um, we work with some of the bigger ones, uh, you know, the, the bigger brands, the bigger publishers, um, and uh, those we will come, you know, to meet their editorial team or to meet the agency and inspire them on how to use our tools in the best way. Uh, all the others are using our tool as a, you know, a self-serve uh, platform. Mm -hmm. And we have best practices for storytellers on our site uh, that can really help you get to the best results. One of the questions I, I always have about this type of content, and I, I definitely consume it, I definitely like it, and I look at it a lot, um, but a lot of times I'm wondering what the marketing objective is when, when I see, you know, some articles or interactive quizzes or, or different things that, that, are in, that I'm engaging with as sponsored content. Um, mm -hmm. do, you, do you see that there's a, there's a, is it just building awareness? Is it building the relationship? Is there a specific action that, that uh, your clients want consumers to take? Or what's the best situation for, uh, what, what's the best marketing objective where this is the most effective, I guess, is my question. Sure. So we actually recently did um, a study with Nielsen around our campaigns to learn, you know, what marketing objectives uh, our campaigns are best for. And the results were really exciting because we saw that when it comes to brand list, you know, increasing awareness to your brand, um, our results were we had a 91% average brand lift, which put us in the top 10% of, you know, companies that Nielsen works with for digital campaigns. Um, so That's that was great. really exciting. That's interesting, yeah. Um, and we see um, purchase intent as something that a lot of advertisers are looking for. Um, and, you know, these are exactly the types of things that interactive content can really help um, in, in improving because, Again, you know, going back to how memorable uh, a piece of content was and the neuro neuroscience of it and how it impacts your brain. Once you're alive, you're taking actions, you're uh, thinking and answering and, you know, a quiz really kind of shows that in the most effective way. Uh, it's a whole other story as far as how much you'll remember the message that you read. Um, it's, it's a great tool for education. Um, and teaching, you know, when I was like thinking we should take some, yeah. 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 <laughs> Def we have a lot of professors that ask us if they can use our tools and use them with their students. And it's super effective. So well, definitely and note to self. Open, so you can try it. <laughs> that yeah. sounds great. Well, yeah, Shakar Oren, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It was really wonderful. And I understand you were in a class. Which class were you in? 
I was a guest lecturer in the Intro to Marketing uh, class at Wharton like a month ago or so. It was great. Oh, that's cool. Cool. Oh, yeah. thank oh, you. Oh, yeah, the summer class. Ah, yeah. well, it was great to have you on campus. It's great to have you on the air, and I hope you'll join us again very soon. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you.